This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Hello from T-Mobile Park. Red Sox just wrapped up a six-game West Coast trip. Go two and four against the Giants and the Mariners. I'm Chris Cotillo here with the Fenway Rundown alongside Sean McAdam, both of us on this entire West Coast swing for Mass Live. And, Sean, this is a trip where the games were secondary. Red Sox did not play particularly well, but it was the trade deadline that was the focus, and that's going to be our focus today, wrapping up everything that happened, or in the case of the Red Sox, didn't happen. Everybody knows by this point the Red Sox made just one small move ahead of the deadline, getting Luis Urias from the Brewers for pitching prospect Bradley Blaylock. He's not even on the major league roster, so basically the Red Sox forge ahead with the team that they came on this West Coast trip with. You wrote a column on Monday night that I thought was very, very, or I guess it was Sunday heading into Monday. Uh, the Red Sox are going to look a lot different when they leave Seattle, but how so? It was a great column idea, and Heim Bloom decided to spit on it by doing absolutely nothing. So based on that, I assume kind of the same reaction I had, some shock and surprise at the fact that they did basically absolutely nothing. Yeah, I don't have an official copy of the passenger list for the charter home, but I suspect that it is very similar indeed to the one that, uh, that brought the Red Sox to the West Coast last Thursday, or actually last Wednesday night to begin their six-game trip out here, Chris. They did not do anything of consequence, and I'm with you. If you option the one player you get at the deadline, then that doesn't count as a significant acquisition. Maybe somewhere down the road, Urias uh, contributes some in August and September, but it's hardly going to be anything that's going to change the uh, complexion of uh, of the playoff race. And I, I think we both thought you got off the bus a little bit toward the end, thinking that in the last 24 hours their inactivity and the fact that we weren't hearing a whole lot signaled that they were not being very aggressive. Uh, Heimblum did tell us that there were a lot of phone calls, a lot of possibilities, but ultimately um, nothing that that, uh, interested them. And I find that strange. I I think this is still a winnable playoff spot. I understand that they weren't going to be making a huge dramatic move in terms of an acquisition. But it seems to me they could have gotten some pitching depth for some low-level prospects or mid-level prospects. I think they should have. The fact they didn't, we'll see how much that comes back to bite them. I think there's two ways to look at it. Number one, they didn't fortify a team that is in contention. They entered today a game and a half out of a wild-card spot, obviously lost in, in kind of crappy fashion to the Mariners here in the last game of the, home, of the uh, road trip. Um, the other way to look at it would be that they didn't sell. They didn't wave the white flag. We'll focus on the first first and, and the second part after. Heimblum describing this team as underdogs, which statistically they are. The playoff odds about 20 to 25%. They're kind of swinging back and forth. There's a huge variance with every win, with every loss, because you know, it's the time of year where, you know, with only 60 games left, two and a half games out, three and a half games out is a lot bigger of a mountain to climb than a game and a half or a game or, or things like that. So he's looking at the odds, which are something that you know his odds and the internal odds the Red Sox have are probably a little different than fan graphs or the places we can access, but kind of the same principle, and he's really believing in what those odds say. He told us on the show, and we had him last week or the week before, that's how they approached last year's deadline. Clearly, they did the same thing here. Um, 
does that to you, using the word underdogs and not fortifying the group, none of the players we talked to yesterday in the clubhouse, the leaders, Kenley Jansen, Raphael Devers, Justin Turner, would say it doesn't feel like he believes in us. But definitely there's that feeling in there a little bit. Yeah, I think the reliance on the playoff odds is curious, and it's not one I endorse um, in this equation. To me, before today, they were two and a half games, three games out of a wild card spot. If they were to do exactly to the Toronto Blue Jays what they did to them last month at Rogers Center, they'd be tied with the Blue Jays and in a playoff spot by Sunday night. And you'd still have seven and a half weeks left in the season. That, to me, does not strike me as an insurmountable hill to climb to get into the postseason. And, in fact, it encourages that even some moves along the margins, moves around the edges, as we said, we weren't expecting them to be in on Justin Verlander or any of the real big names that would have taken uh, a number of prospects or your top prospect to get. But if you get some back-end help uh, to, instead of having bullpen games have a major league starter who can keep you in games for five or six innings more times than not to me that's that's a step forward and you and I were just talking with some other people uh, here in the ballpark the thing that I have a difficulty squaring is that most of the year Heim Bloom approaches his job where any incremental improvement is worth it that's why he makes weird waiver claims in the middle of the night, in the middle of games, in the middle of winter, because he thinks that that guy is better than the 40th guy on their roster, even if it's only 5%, and every little bit forward helps. That's a good, aggressive viewpoint to have. Why not carry that same approach over to the trade deadline, which he clearly did not? My prediction on the night before the deadline when we were talking, I think going back to the hotel, was, well, at this point, Heimblum's personality, the way he operates ahead of the deadline, or the way he operates in general, where everything's methodical, everything is, you know, probably a, a long wind-up to make a decision and not that kind of rash, okay, let's do it type of aggression that we saw from Dave Dombrowski during his time here would work against the Red Sox on deadline day. I think that ultimately came true. I'm not saying, you know, one is correct and one is wrong between the two approaches. I think in the perspective of a manager like Alex Cora or the players who are fighting for a playoff spot, they'd probably prefer the, all right, let's do it. Screw it. We're going to get a couple pieces here. A deadline like this where, you know, there's the hard stop at 6 o'clock Eastern on Tuesday for a guy as methodical and as principled as Bloom is, I just think it works against the way he operates. And, you know, we've heard that a little bit from other teams too. So um, a curious, curious deadline and one where, you know, they're left without upgrades as we talked about let's talk a little bit about what they could have done on the other side because I think as I wrote this morning in the clubhouse reaction piece of this the players were hopeful that they would make an addition but I think relieved after last year that they didn't make a subtraction Adam Duvall's still here James Paxton's still here Alex Verdugo which we'll get into something we reported over the weekend since we last recorded the pod he's still here you know Kike Hernandez I think that's not a loss really at all. It's probably an addition by subtraction thing, even though he's been good in his first few five first few games in L.A. Um, players seem to be relieved that those guys are still here, but you know, in, is doing nothing worse than picking a lane, even if it's the sell side where you might be kind of waving the white flag a little bit. Like in your mind, should he have moved Paxton or Duvall and just tried to recoup some future value, or is that? 
too much of a you know clubhouse ruffler to be able to kind of explain away this time of year. Well, I, I think you have to first, if, if you are principled and you are approaching the deadline uh, with a clear thought process, then you don't worry too much about what the reaction in there is going to be. We know that there was a negative reaction with the Christian Vasquez trade a year ago. Xander, uh, Xander Bogarts was outspoken about his disappointment and seeing a good friend moved. Those are going to happen no matter what you do, no matter how good or bad your team is. There are going to be teammates who are sorry to see other teammates go, and you have to deal with that. And I think Bloom, for the second year in a row, at least was smart enough to fly a long way, last year to Houston, this year to Seattle, to come out the night of the deadline so he was available for feedback and to talk to players today. But to me, you can't let that drive what you do or don't do. And the problem I have with this deadline is that they didn't pick a lane, is that they didn't make themselves better for 2023, presumably reading between the lines, having some doubts about the sustainability of this team and how much could be done to make an impact for the final two months. Okay, if that's how you feel, then to me, you have to take option number two. How do I get better for the future? How do I, whether that includes selling pieces like Duval and Paxton, both free agents to be, or more complicated deal like uh, uh, like Alex Verdugo, who has another year of control on his contract, that would have been a bigger deal and, in theory at least, would have provided you with more return. The fact that they didn't improve their chances as a wild card and didn't get better for 24 and 25, to me, is a failure. I understand that there wasn't, in their telling, a lot that they could do that they really liked and you don't make moves just for the sake of making them. But again, I have a hard time thinking that in one of those two scenarios, there wasn't something where they could have moved forward, either short-term to make the wild card or long-term to get better for the coming seasons. I think the way they approached it was open to all possibilities, just like a year ago. And instead of doing things that fit into both buckets, doing nothing that fit into either bucket and hoping that, you know, maybe Nick Robertson or maybe Yovera or um, Arias could, you know, play a bit part down the stretch here. But I think in terms of what they were really looking at, they kind of took themselves out of the rental market. They weren't willing to pay those prices. So that takes you out on an old friend, friend of the show, friend of every show, Rich Hill, that uh, would have made some sense to come back and eat innings. I think they looked at it and said, all right, well, is Rich Hill for a prospect – better than what Chris Murphy can give us or you know, some of the guys we have coming back or Nick Pavetta in a bulk role and said probably not for the price we have to pay. But that controllable start or that guy who could fortify the rotation alongside Bayo, which was really their goal, not many of those guys moved. One of the guys that did, Aaron Savali, going from Cleveland to Tampa Bay for a, a first-base prospect, a pretty good one. Seems like the Red Sox would have had to give up a close to major league ready piece or a major league piece. I know Alex Spear wrote, you know, maybe Duran or Casas. If that's the case, I say absolutely not. You don't do that for basically a mid-rotation starter. I know pitching is generally more valuable than position players, but Duran an up the middle spot and Casas four to five first base hitting well. Like those guys are going to be part of this core for a while. Even a guy like Rafaela, who's close to the majors and, and killing it at AAA right now with a pretty high ceiling doesn't make a lot of sense for a mid-rotation starter like that. Who would you have gone out and tried to get? Would it be 
a guy like Dylan Cease in Chicago who didn't move, Mitch Keller in Pittsburgh who didn't move, guy we saw today in Seattle, Logan Gilbert, or one of the starters here. Uh, those are probably the, the guys the Red Sox were most aggressive on, obviously the highest-priced guys. But is there a guy of that group that you would say, this might be the guy that the Red Sox end up trying to do in the offseason or should have gotten in the lead-up to this deadline? Of the guys you mentioned, I like Gilbert the most. I have the most questions about Keller. And some of that may be the environment in which he's pitching. He doesn't have a great team in front of him. Um, you know, some of the underlying numbers are not as impressive. He's been a little inconsistent up and down the last couple of years. If I'm going to really dig into my farm system and give up multiple good prospects, two, three, then it's got to be for a guy I know that can at least be a really good number two starter. But at some point, the Red Sox are going to need a starting pitcher in his mid to late 20s who can be a foundational piece in this rotation going forward. You and I were just talking about next year in the rotation. Who do you have? You have Bayo. You feel real good about that, a guy who's getting better almost every five days. You have Chris Sale for what that's worth for one more year, and you figure that when he's healthy, however infrequent that is, you're going to get quality starts there, but you don't know if that's going to be 10, 20, or 25 starts. And then after that, it's kind of a crapshoot. Who's Tanner Houck at this point? Who's Garrett Whitlock at this point? Cutter Crawford, probably a back-end guy that you're happy with, but they have a real issue from two to four there. And having not gotten that guy at the deadline, they're going to have to do it in the winter. Maybe because you're not deadline-driven then, maybe because you're not worried about 40-man spots, about upsetting team chemistry, about... All the things that go into the dynamics of trading in the middle of the season, it's a little more relaxed. You have more time to do it in the offseason, but they have to get an impact arm in the offseason, and that's made doubly true by the fact that they didn't get one this week. Let's talk about Alex Verdugo now. Uh, Sunday night we ran the story on, from multiple major league sources that the Red Sox were open and willing to trade Alex Verdugo, if not actively shopping him to other teams. I know there was... Reports to the contrary that came out after, which different people hear different things this time of year, but we were pretty confident, or very confident, I should say, in our reporting. The Red Sox were you know, willing to listen. Alex Verdugo obviously had a very, very good first three months, tapered off significantly in July, hit a home run last night, um, and, and the win here in Seattle, and, and said that, yes, he had heard the rumors, he had kind of read what was out there, and he was worried about them and felt like he could relax with the deadline passed. I think the reason they're... They were willing to move Verdugo, sell high on a guy who's had a good year, sell high on a guy they probably don't envision as long-term in this club. My guess would be, based on the lack of extension talks to this point and the outfielders they have, Yoshida for four more years after this one, Duran under control forever, uh, not literally forever, but a while, and then you know, Rafaela potentially coming up to play center. They probably feel like you know Verdugo at, let's say, five years for $80 million or five years for $75 million, that Benintendi deal, is not one they're likely to make, so try to flip him. I think the big takeaway here, even if he didn't move at the deadline, which that would have been a white flag move, even though he struggled for the last month because he's been, you know, their best, one of their best, most consistent players for the first half. I think that a, a Verdugo trade is possible, if not likely, over the winter with a year left to control. Maybe you get a pitcher, a younger pitcher, something like that, or, or he's a piece, you know, in another deal, uh, or he's one piece of, of a bigger deal, I should say. Um, but just kind of telling that the Red Sox, I think, are going to be open to ways of moving off Alex Verdugo in the next 
few months instead of looking at ways to lock him up for a while. And, and I assume you agree with that assessment based on what we've heard from around the league. Yeah, I, I, I don't see this guy being someone you invest in for four, five, six years, which is what you'd have to do uh, to get him extended before he reaches free agency. To me, he's too much of a gamble. We've seen his performance be inconsistent. Two months followed by uh, two and a half good months followed by six weeks where he virtually disappeared. Uh, that happens to me too many times for him in his career. I think there have been some issues about commitment. I think there have been some issues about hustle, about attitude, preparation, all those things. We saw that he came into spring training committed having been kicked in the butt a little bit and challenged by Alex Cora at the end of last year. And for the first couple of months, it was fine. But can he keep up that kind of commitment and level of play for an entire year? He hasn't shown that he has. He doesn't deliver a lot of power that you would expect to get from a corner outfielder. He has improved as an outfielder, and I give him credit. He's committed himself to being a better defender, and he's played, I think, gold-glove caliber outfield in a very challenging field. Uh, or a position at Fenway right field. We all know how difficult that can be. There's a lot of ground to cover, some weird angles out there. His throws have been more disciplined and on target. In a lot of ways, if you see him for a couple of weeks and say, if you could only bottle that and have it be consistent, but we are you know, now four and a half years into his big league career and he hasn't put together a complete season yet, what are the odds that that switch is going to flip and it's going to happen? I don't think so. And before he loses so much value that he doesn't get you much in return, if indeed they've made the decision that he is not worthy of a long-term investment, I think he has to be traded this winter. I like Alex Verdugo as a player. I mean, and as, as someone in the clubhouse, he's great for business because he's very candid, very honest, does not give us the cliches. And, um, you know, usually kind of you can get a pulse of what's going on from talking to him. But – a player who needs to be motivated by his manager going to the media to get you know, in shape in the winter and change his preparation. Historically, teams look at that and say, you know, what's going to happen once he has $80 million guaranteed money? And I think the Red Sox have that concern. I think they're, you know, if, if he's not motivated at times now, is he going to be motivated once he has the big payday? And I think the Red Sox are concerned about that. To be fair, I think other teams are probably concerned about that as well. So, um you know, the Red Sox clearly didn't get an offer they liked for, for Verdugo. Again, we'll see, um, you know, what happens here in the next few months after the season if they're willing to move him. Not necessarily a busy deadline for the Red Sox, but a busy deadline for us in San Francisco and Seattle. We have a red-eye flight ahead of us tonight, and then Dan Schulman will be joining us on the podcast Friday before the Red Sox welcome the Blue Jays for a very important divisional series at Fenway. Thanks for listening, as always, to the Fenway Rundown. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.